well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you joined us on the program today. Larry Keene from the National Shooting Sports Foundation is going to be with us here momentarily talking about maybe one of, maybe the worst bill, the worst gun control bill filed in the United States so far this year. Federal level, state level, local level, this one could be the worst of them all because it would absolutely destroy the firearms industry and your ability to lawfully purchase a firearm, supposedly in the name of public safety and uh, supposedly to combat a public nuisance. And we'll talk with Larry Keene about that coming up momentarily. But, you know, we talk about bad bills. We talk about bad laws. And uh, there's an organization out there that is challenging these bad laws and these bad bills before they become bad laws. Uh, each and every day. It's the Second Amendment Foundation, and you can be a part of their fight to defend the right to keep and bear arms. All you have to do is text JOIN SAF, that's J O I N S A F, to 474747. Again, JOIN SAF, just text that to 474747. You can become a Second Amendment first responder, part of the grassroots army that the Second Amendment Foundation is uh, developing all across the nation to push back against the type of unconstitutional gun control bills that aim to destroy our right to keep and bear arms and, frankly, empower violent criminals at the same time. Now, I know that's not the stated intent of the uh, gun control activists, but it is a toxic byproduct of their gun control legislation. It's ironic that all these uh, gun control bills are presented as being in the name of public safety when the violent criminals don't care. And each and every one of these measures aimed squarely at you and I and the millions of Americans, well, the tens of millions of Americans who are exercising the right to keep and bear arms each and every day. So again, we need you in this fight. It is critically important. Now's not the time when we can sit on the couch, sit back and relax and, uh, you know, kick our heels up and, and, and be rest assured that our right to keep and bear arms is safe and secure. I hope that one day that's the case. That's not today. So again, text JOIN SAF to 474747 and become a Second Amendment first responder. Now, in New York, this particular bill is uh, Senate Bill 1048, authored by uh, New York Senator Zellner Myrie. And this bill seeks to uh, do a little end run around the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, the federal legislation that was passed back in 2005 that was designed to put a stop to junk lawsuits filed by anti-gun mayors, uh, in support of uh, with, with gun control organizations backing them that seek to hold firearms manufacturers or distributors or retailers responsible for the actions of criminals. The Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act was supposed to put a stop to all of these lawsuits. But Senator Myrie and many of his Democratic colleagues in New York State believe that they have found a loophole in the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act that will allow them to pursue this anti-gun industry agenda at the state level. Again, we have the opportunity to speak about this with the Senior Vice President and General Counsel of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the Firearms Industry Trade Group, Larry Keene. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Larry, thanks so much for coming on the program, sir. It's good talking with you today. 
It's always a pleasure to visit with you, Cam. How are you? I am good. Um, all right, so we're we're not talking about gun control in Washington D.C. today. I mean, well, we kind of are obliquely. Uh, we're we're really talking about though this awful bill uh, in New York State that seeks to do an end run around the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. What exactly would this bill in New York do, Larry? So there's a bill pending in the New York State Senate. It's actually on for a hearing today. That would, uh, as you say, be an end run around the PLCA. You wouldn't need to repeal the PLCA. Um, they uh, This bill would drive a Mack truck through uh, the exceptions and would allow public nuisance lawsuits uh, to proceed against members of the industry by amending New York's public nuisance law to apply expressly to the design, manufacture, import, distribution, and uh, advertising and uh, sale of firearms. And they say in the bill that you know, illegal firearms make their way into New York and are used to commit crime, causing you know a public nuisance in New York. So therefore, um, it would allow public nuisance lawsuits like the city of New York's case or the state of New York or private lawsuits to proceed because the PLCAA says that there's a knowing violation of a law applicable to the sale and marketing of firearms, either federal or state, meaning the Gun Control Act or analogous provisions under state law, those cases can proceed. So, for example, if you somebody illegally sold firearms to somebody knowing they were a prohibited person, that wouldn't be required here. They would just allege, um, and they say, if you don't take, quote-unquote, reasonable measures to control, to prevent store purchasing, theft of firearms from your store, if you don't control downstream distribution, and uh, control and monitor your dealers because they get, quote-unquote, a disproportionate number of traces. You, Mr. Manufacturer, you, Mr. Distributor, you, Mr. Retailer, have created a public nuisance in New York, and we're going to see you. And, of course, the PLCAA was adopted by Congress on a broad bipartisan margin to stop public nuisance lawsuits that were being filed against the industry by these Democrat-controlled cities like the city of New York, although ironically, city of New York lawsuit was filed by Rudy Giuliani when he was mayor, the only Republican to the industry. Um, so you wouldn't need to repeal. You would just, uh, you know, essentially gut the PLCAA by uh, overruling the holding in the Second Circuit in the city of New York versus Beretta case that said New York's public nuisance statute was a statute of general application and didn't fit within what's called the predicate exception. There is no doubt that this bill, behind this bill, is every town in Brady and Giffords and the white shoe law firms like Proskauer and others that are working with the gun control community and the New York AG and other anti-gun Democrat AGs. And if they're, this is a test case and if they're successful, we will see this bill in New York, Maryland, Virginia, California, Washington, Oregon, et cetera, Illinois, uh, and we will see a new flood of lawsuits against the industry like we saw back 20 plus years ago, private lawsuits, AG lawsuits, 
and the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act will afford no protection. And things that are negligence claims will be uh, filed as public nuisance claims. Design defect claims will be filed as public nuisance claims. Because, of course, they say the way the guns are designed creates an, uh, a public nuisance because they don't like the way firearms are designed. And they think they should have safety devices like so-called smart gun and things like that. So the, the, the bill is an existential threat to the future of the Second Amendment because there's no industry to make the products and there's no ability by citizens to exercise their right to keep and bear arms, which the court had said means they have the right to acquire them. Well, there's no one to make them. There's no way to acquire them. And, of course, none of this will make New Yorkers safe or make any other state safe because the guns are not ending up being misused by criminals in New York because of the lawful commerce by manufacturers, distributors, and retailers. Right? So when you comply with the law, it's not negligence. It's not creating a public nuisance. Someone steals a gun from somebody's house or car, and it ends up somehow in New York and used in a crime. The manufacturer, the distributor, the retailer, the lawful owner is not responsible. It's the criminal who's responsible. But this bill can says the fact that uh, there are criminals that may have acted doesn't mean you, the manufacturer, et cetera, are not responsible. And it says even further that you're the proximate cause, even if there's criminal activity. So it's a very dangerous bill. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely it is. And I mean, I, you know, I, I always like to like compare this to other industries. Hey, what would this look like in other industries? So we know, for instance, uh, miners, you know, they, 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 they can get a hold of alcohol, right? Um, not that I'm speaking of personal experience in my teenage years, being able to acquire a 24 pack of really cheap beer at, at some point, but it happens. But what this would do, I mean, if we were to apply this to the, to the, you know, alcoholic beverage industry, uh, if a, you know, 16 year old is caught with a can of Budweiser, you'd be able to sue Anheuser-Busch Right. Yep. For creating the, the public nuisance of, of making that beer in the first place. And it doesn't matter how that 16 year old 16 year old could have taken it from the, the fridge at home. But right. if he's caught in public and he's busted for minor in possession, well, by golly, his own parents who bought the beer in the first place could presumably sue Anheuser-Busch alleging that, ah, oh, you know, it was the it was the beer company that made me do it. This is because, because after all, it's foreseeable. Right. That's right. The, test of the law. Right? Exactly. That nothing can happen doesn't mean you have a legal duty to prevent it. You have no ability to prevent someone from stealing a gun from somebody's home and then illegally trapping it to New York. So there's law does not impose liability in that context. This law would be doing exactly that. That'd be like saying, Ford, you know that some of your cars are going to end up being used in drunk driving accidents. That's foreseeable to you. So you have a duty to control you know, your car dealers, who they sell to and how the car is used, you know, years down the road. It's it's untenable. It's absolute liability. Here's what will happen. Companies will abandon the New York market, not sell guns into New York to try to avoid being dragged into litigation in New York. Remington, which is just starting back up in Illion, just starting to rehire union workers, they're going to have to rethink whether or not they move that factory out of New York or whether they stay, given this law, if it passes. Now I am told Democrat, anti-gun Democrats in New York are committed to making this law, which tells me gun control groups, Mayor Bloomberg, every town, and the white shoe law firms 
are the ones who came up with this strategy and are pushing for it. And it will spread like wildfire. Absolutely. Well, we know they've been pushing for a repeal of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act at the federal level, uh, which appears to be going nowhere at the moment. And so, as you say, they're once again uh, turning to the states, those friendly states where they can find them uh, to, to, to do this, you know, state by state. Uh, and, and I'm curious, Larry, I mean, look, let's say this bill becomes law and, and you know, manufacturers say, all right, we're pulling out of the New York market. Would that alone even be enough to prevent manufacturers from being sued let's say a gun gets st- let's say one of my guns gets stolen somebody breaks into my home steals my firearms and you know a year later or two years later one of my guns is discovered at a crime scene in new york state could let's say uh you know six hour could they be sued under this bill because they sold because i bought a six hour pistol in virginia and it ended up at a crime scene in new york that's part of the problem with the bill. They would try to say, well, you know, your your conduct outside of the state created a tort inside the state of New York, the public nuisance. And so they would try to drag you in and assert jurisdiction over these out-of-state companies. And when you read the bill, they are attempting through this bill to use the New York judiciary to regulate interstate commerce outside of the state. So I think it's unconstitutional. Because it, it violates the Commerce Clause, what's known as a dormant Commerce Clause. States can't regulate commerce outside of their own state. That's the prerogative of Congress. It also tramples on state sovereignty because they would be requiring retailers and manufacturers to impose uh, restrictions or policies not considered or required by the state of Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, or any other state. So it tramples on states' rights and state sovereignty. Because New York is going to force their will upon other states through these lawsuits and the New York judiciary. So I think it's unconstitutional that way. And again, it's not going to do anything to make New York safer because what, you know, you're going to make six hours, Smith and Wesson, Glock and other companies responsible for the criminal misuse of firearms that are required on the street, stolen, et cetera, um, is absurd. It's like blaming, as we said, Ford for drunk driving accidents or Budweiser for the harm caused by someone who gets drunk and, you know, and beat somebody up. It's absurd. It, it is absurd. Uh, and I, I, I'm not an attorney like you are, but uh, I, I do consider this to be unconstitutional. Um, wh- where would a, a court challenge likely take place? If this bill becomes law, would, would a legal challenge be filed in the New York state courts or would, uh, you know, a gun company be better off pursuing uh, litigation at the federal level I trying to overturn this law? Can be, uh, there could be a lawsuit in federal court challenging the constitutionality under the Commerce Clause, or uh, but you need to have an action enforced. So they would have to um, probably have to have a, somebody be the victim of one of these lawsuits. But again, this, the New York State Attorney General would be authorized to bring an action. The City of New York would bring an action, and you know where the City of New York case is going to be filed. And you know where the New York State case is going to be filed in front of Judge Weinstein. Yep. In the Eastern District of New York, where all the cases were filed in New York 20 years ago, and uh, or private lawsuits backed by these white shoe law firms in the Brady Center and Giffords in every town, which all have their own little legal arms now, bringing lawsuits. So you would have you know crime victims suing, class actions, etc. It would be uh, we would be exactly where we were 20 something years ago with a new tidal wave of lawsuits directed at shuttering the industry, 
or bankrupting the industry or imposing regulation through litigation is what these kind of lawsuits are called uh, famously because their end result or the, their end game is to either bankrupt the industry or require sales and distribution practices that are not required by Congress, not required by other states through court orders and settlements. And that's exactly what the lawsuits were designed to do 20 years ago. All these city lawsuits that the PLCAA was designed to stop. And that's exactly what they'd be doing now, using New York's judiciary to impose the will of New York on business interests and business practices outside of the state of New York. And I think that violates the Congress clause. All right. So given the uh, the anti-gun governor uh, in New York state, the uh, anti-gun majorities in the state legislature, what what can New York gun owners be doing right now to try to prevent this awful bill from becoming an even worse law? They need to contact their state senators and loudly protest this bill uh, as a threat to their constitutional rights, because it will be a threat to their constitutional rights. It'll diminish the ability to obtain firearms uh, in the state of New York. It'll, in, And I think people outside the state of New York need to be aware of what's going on, because this is aimed at them as well. Um, you got to pick up the phone, call your state legislator. You got to call your state senators. You got to call your assembly members. You got to call the governor. You have to engage politically. You need to join Second Amendment organizations in the state to make sure that they are strong and can fight this. Uh, you need to engage politically because this is a very, very dangerous bill. I cannot overemphasize to you the threat that this represents to the industry and to the Second Amendment. Absolutely. And and I mean, and look, this is, as you say, this is one state, but imagine a dozen states uh, putting this law on the books and the flood of lawsuits that would ensue. Again, they don't even need a court victory, Larry. I mean, they can you know, they can adopt a death by a thousand cut strategy and say, look, even if we take these cases all the way up to to trial and we lose, well, all these gun companies are still having to pay their legal bills, right, for every one of these cases. And unlike you know, the uh, the deep pockets of Michael Bloomberg or the uh, taxpayer funded uh, uh, city attorneys in New York or the taxpayer funded attorney general of New York state. Um, you know, they've got an endless supply of money to uh, to, to prosecute or, or pursue these cases, whereas the gun industry does not have an endless supply of cash to defend itself from these types of lawsuits. That's exactly right. It's exactly what happened last time and why the PLCA was so important, because it is a strategy of death by a thousand cuts, either bankrupt them or the, the cost of litigation will bring them, the industry to its knees and capitulate to uh, settlements that will impose through court orders in the, in the settlement. These kinds of uh, you know gun control regulations through litigation that Congress would never pass, have been rejected by the American public, and will impose the will of New York on other states because it'll be a nationwide injunction and it'll be, you know, manufacturer, this has to be, how you know, what you require in your distribution contracts nationwide, because they point out and they claim seventy four percent of the guns recovered in crime in New York uh, were originally sold at retail. After a background check, I might add, Cam, mm-hmm. right, um, end up in New York. They fail to mention that the plurality of guns were originally sold at retail in New York. They also fail to mention most guns recovered. Uh, the national average is they were originally sold at retail after a background check about a decade before they recovered in crime. It won't matter. You know, you'll still be sued as a manufacturer, distributor, and a retailer 
uh, because the, the legislature in New York does not respect the Second Amendment. And they would they would do away with the Second Amendment if they could get away with it. All right. Let me let me raise another argument that uh, that might appeal to uh, to some on the left who maybe aren't fans of the Second Amendment. Maybe they were not gun owners themselves, and maybe their first inclination is, "Well, I'd love to see this happen." If the if the response from the firearms industry is going to be, "Look, we're pulling out of the New York market," uh, I would imagine that would apply not only to uh, civilian gun ownership, but to governments uh, buying guns, to to police. Uh, agencies purchasing firearms, because, again, we know that police firearms get stolen uh, and can be used in crime. We've we, we've seen that happen uh, on a regular basis. So it's very recently. Absolutely. So, so this, it seems to me like this would not only lead to the the closing of the civilian firearms market. And maybe, again, there are New Yorkers who, who don't care about that. Uh, but this would basically put a stop to even police being able to purchase firearms in New York State because of the liability concerns that gun manufacturers would face. Companies are going to have to make their own decisions about you know, how they proceed, but uh, you know you're going to be exposed. To a lot of police departments, when they buy new firearms, they sell their used firearms to licensed dealers, and they get sold. They they get sold in the commercial market after a background check by licensed dealers. Well, if that gun shows up, even though it was originally sold to a police department. It's not going to matter. You're going to get sucked into a lawsuit. All right. Uh, Larry Keene, again, with the National Shooting Sports Foundation, joining us talking about this uh, awful bill uh, in New York State designed uh, to bankrupt the firearms industry. And, and by the way, it should be noted, Larry, I know this is kind of ancillary to our conversation here, but, you know, the lawmakers, these same lawmakers in New York who are trying to destroy the firearms industry are at the same time. Uh, saying that somebody arrested for a violent crime should be released without having to post any sort of bond or bail whatsoever. Uh, they have a very light on crime approach in the New York legislature at the moment. Uh, and yet they're going after a legal industry. Uh, and the biggest impact would be felt by those legal, responsible gun owners while they're giving slaps on the wrists and kisses on the cheek to criminals in the same state. You would think they would be passing a bail reform bill to address the, the problems. And you have crimes out of control in the city of New York, as we've seen, unfortunately. You know, and uh, and part of the reason is because these you know bad hombres are let back out on the street because there's no bail. Yeah, and they you know they're required to be let loose. It's terrible. It is. And meanwhile, New York City, the uh, the number of uh, New Yorkers who are attempting to get a uh, permit to legally own a firearm. We know that those numbers are going up. Sorry for the you folks, but uh, if this bill becomes law, you are going to find it very difficult, uh, if not impossible, to exercise your right to keep and bear arms. Criminals, of course, not going to be uh, impacted because they're already, they're already getting their guns illegally. Uh, they, they don't care about laws like this. In fact, if they needed to, Larry, I mean, this is the honest to God truth. If they if they really needed to, the technology exists for any criminal who wants to, to print their own firearm. Uh, at home with a 3D printer for a few hundred bucks. Uh, so the criminal acquisition of firearms, as you say, is not going to be touched by this bill. If you want to go and you want to touch the criminals, well, you got to aim your legislation at them and not the legal industry that employs tens of thousands of people uh, and, uh, you know, helps provide, uh, you know, firearms for the tens of millions of Americans who want to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Yeah, I mean, it's, the industry has a significant economic impact in the country and even in the state of New York. So, you know, again, Remington's rehiring, starting up manufacturing. 
Well, now what are they going to do, right? I mean, this is, you know, it's not going to stop crime in New York. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's again, this is as pure an anti-gun piece of legislation. They may call it a public safety piece of legislation. They might say we're trying to cut down on violent crime. They're not. They're trying to cut down on the lawful commerce of arms in this country and in the state of New York. We're going to continue staying on top of this, Larry. But thank you so much for joining us on the program today. You're, you're, I'm glad to be on. Just remember, S1048, if you live in New York, call your senators, call your assembly members. All right. I appreciate Larry joining us on the program again. This is really serious. I mean, New York, it's not like there's some sort of legislative backstop here. Well, it's a bad bill, but it's never going to get out of the state Senate. No, it could. And frankly, if it gets out of the state Senate, it probably has an even easier time getting through the assembly in New York State. And there's no way that Governor Andrew Cuomo is going to veto a bill like this. Are you kidding me? Not when he's trying to rehabilitate his image on the left uh, among his base. So we do need to speak up. We do need to speak out. You do need to be contacting uh, even your Democratic state senators and uh, urging them to oppose this bill. But um, I, I unfortunately, I have a feeling that uh, this is going to end up in court rather than uh, this bill ended up in the circular file there in uh, Albany. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there with a case out of San Leandro, California. The headline alone is bad enough. San Leandro police arrest two teens in attack of elderly Asian man. So it turns out one of these teens is not even a teen. He's a, a preteen, 11 years old. That's how old one of these suspects are, an 11-year-old and a 17-year-old. They assaulted and robbed an 80-year-old man on Saturday. Police say the 11-year-old was driving a carjacked vehicle at the time, which had been stolen back on May the 10th in Oakland, California. Again, maybe we should find out who manufactured that vehicle, and we could sue them for the 11-year-old carjacking the driver of that vehicle, getting behind the wheel, and stealing it, right? I mean, if we're going to follow the New York line of thinking here, that's exactly what would happen in San Leandro, California. Ford would be sued because this 11-year-old engaged in a carjacking. According to uh, NBC Bay Area, this 11-year-old has a, quote, lengthy criminal history. Um, They also believe, by the way, that uh, this 11-year-old, the 17-year-old, and another suspect uh, believed to be responsible for robbing a Hispanic woman of her purse uh, that very same day. And legal analyst Stephen Clark Speaking of NBC Bay Area, says it's unlikely that the 11-year-old is even going to be sent to juvenile hall in this case. He said, quote, there have been a number of attacks that he's associated with, but at the same time, the system of juvenile justice is set up for rehabilitation, not punishment. Okay. Okay. Look, I actually don't have a problem with the juvenile justice system being set up to uh, primarily deal with rehabilitation as opposed to civil incarceration. I'd like to believe that this 11-year-old is capable of redemption, is capable of turning his life around, but here's the deal. The juvenile justice system in California isn't doing squat to actually rehabilitate this 11-year-old, who, again, has been associated with a number of attacks. So what the hell is going to happen here? Well, what's going to happen is this 11-year-old is going to get a slap on the wrist He's going to be sent on his merry way. And sadly, we'll never, we won't learn his name for probably another seven years or so until his first arrest as an adult. But he's going to be committing more crimes. Some of them may not end up on the local news. 
Some of them may actually be more severe than the case that we're already talking about. But an 11-year-old with a serious criminal history still engaged in these types of violent crimes and even the legal analyst for the NBC affiliate in the uh, San Francisco area says it's not likely that there'll be any repercussions for this young man. Today's Armed Citizen story from San Antonio, Texas, where a bystander returned fire at a man who shot at a woman at an abortion clinic on Saturday. So this was at a, uh, a, a, an abortion clinic Saturday morning, about 8.30. Um, there are a number of protesters who are out there, and a car pulls up, man and a woman get out. The man who arrived with the woman then pulled out a gun and shot at her, but missed. Well, one of the anti-abortion protesters who is there outside of the clinic, was also carrying. He's a concealed carry holder in the state of Texas. He pulled out his own pistol, fired back at that suspect, who then took off running. They don't know uh, who this individual is, right? Well, they probably do, actually. I bet the, uh, hopefully the woman is cooperating with the police and, and told her, but uh, told the uh, authorities who this guy is. But they don't have him in custody as of last report. Uh, according to Christopher Ramos, who's a spokesman with the San Antonio Police Department, Case is still under investigation. He said, quote, you have a right to defend somebody else. He did something a reasonable person would do. He saw someone engaged in a shooting, and so he went and he stepped in and he intervened and he stopped that shooting from occurring. Thankfully, again, the woman wasn't injured. And I suspect that is because her attacker was met with an immediate armed response. He might have thought, well, it's going to take at least a couple minutes for police to get here. I got all the time in the world not thinking that there would have been an armed citizen on scene, present, willing and ready to defend innocent life outside of an abortion clinic there in San Antonio, Texas. Finally today, our good deed of the day. I got to say, that's a pretty good deed we just told you about, but uh, we got another good deed for you. Lynn, Massachusetts, where a retired police captain in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save his neighbor's life, Joe Caritti. 64 years of age, he was uh, getting ready to leave his house, going to go to his part-time job at the uh, Lynn Firefighter or the Lynn Fire Credit Union when he noticed smoke coming out of his neighbor's home. Uh, the neighbor was actually trying to put out the fire, started on a stove, then spread to the cabinets in the kitchen. But at that point, fire was too big. Neighbor couldn't put the fire out. That's when Coretti's daughter-in-law, who also works for the fire department, uh, handed Coretti a garden hose. And uh, Joe Caritti, retired fire captain, went into his neighbor's home with that hose, was able to put out the fire before it spread any further, uh, five to $10,000 worth of damage, but the home itself was saved, no injuries, no loss of life, which is fantastic. Joseph Zukas, who's a, a fire captain there in Lynn, Massachusetts, says it could have been a lot worse. Joe Caritti, again, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Probably never going to have to pay for another beer the rest of his life, as long as he's a little next door to that neighbor anyway. Uh, and I'm guessing that uh, Joe's going to be a pretty popular guy at the neighborhood barbecues this summer. Joe Caritti and Lynn, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed.
Also want to thank all of our VIP members at uh, BarionArms.com. You can become one, as a matter of fact. All you have to do is go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe and use the promo code GUNS, G-U-N-S, to get 25% off of your VIP membership. You're going to get exclusive analysis, commentary, and more. But you're also going to help support our mission at Barion Arms to bring you the latest Second Amendment news and information each and every day. So we really, really do thank you for your support. If you want to even go one step further, you can uh, purchase a VIP gold membership. That's going to get you exclusive access to the Town Hall media family of websites, BarionArms.com, obviously TownHall.com, Red State, Twitchy, Hot Air. And there's all kinds of goodies at uh, each and every website. In fact, you can uh, take part in tomorrow's live chat with Hot Air's Ed Morrissey and myself if you're a VIP gold member. Uh, again, BarionArms.com slash subscribe and use the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your VIP membership. We will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all around the nation. Thank you again for being a part of the program today. If you missed an episode, you can always find us, Town Hall Media, on YouTube, or just look up BarionArms.com on Rumble, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or you go to the townhall.com podcast page, you can find us there as well. All right, tomorrow, Second Amendment activist Nicole Gozer joins us on the program. We're going to talk about red flag laws. We're also going to talk about her stalker possibly getting out of prison early for good behavior. Yeah, even though we serve in a murder sentence right now. That's coming up on the next Gamut Company. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.